Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday. Hope you had an awesome weekend. Hope you're ready for a big week of this show. Hope you're ready for today's show. I hope and pray that I am ready for today's show. We're going to start off in the shallow end of the pool, and we're going to eventually descend and swim out further and further and further into treacherous, dangerous waters that could get me canceled, could upset a lot of people, but it's a conversation that I think is warranted and must be had given the events of late last week and over the weekend. We're going to touch on some very ticklish topics or a very ticklish topic. I, I thought about it over the weekend. I thought about it this morning. I think it's appropriate. People are gonna be upset. I'm not trying to troll anybody. I'm trying to put all the facts and all the conversations on the table, things that are being discussed in private on this show, we try to have those discussions out in front of everybody. I don't know what I think completely, but I do think we need to have the conversation we're gonna to have today. Royce White is going to help me unpack this topic. So will uh, Shamika Michelle. And then we'll pivot and talk some NBA playoffs and some sports topics with the great Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. So we'll end the show on a lighter note. We're gonna start off by walking into the shallow end of the ocean, swim out to the deep end of the ocean. Shamika, Michelle, and Royce are gonna meet me out in the deep end of the ocean. And then I'm gonna swim like hell to make it back to shore to have a conversation about sports and something light with uh, Steve Kim. So uh, put your bathing suits on, uh, get your life preserver on. We're gonna have a discussion that everybody uh, should be having. Be patient with me as I try to, I'm not gonna give you the deep end of the pool right off the top. I don't wanna warn you because I don't wanna scare people off and I want to give you some context so you can understand why we're discussing the very deep end of the pool. So uh, start pounding that like button, start giving me the five-star reviews over at Apple. Uh, and, and, and I'm doing the, <laughs> I was afraid to write this down, just being completely honest with you, I'm completely fearless, but some things, you write them out, and I, I normally I write a mono, I publish a column about the topic I'm talking, but I was like, I don't wanna commit this to writing because these are things that I think, and I'm, I'm moving towards belief, but there's a difference between what you think and what you believe. Your thoughts help you develop your beliefs. This, these are things that I think, uh, so we'll start here. We'll start with Elon Musk, and the conversation we had last week where I was, there's a pivotal moment and a pivotal thing transpiring over social media as it related to Matt Walsh's What is a Woman documentary. And I raised some concerns about Elon Musk. At first, Twitter wasn't gonna allow What is a Woman. 
and then they pivoted because Elon jumped in and said it was the right thing to do and he eventually supported the airing of what is a woman uh, on the Twitter platform and to great success, I think, you know, 170 million people may have viewed what is a woman. And then Elon doubled down even harder, I thought, and even more significantly on Saturday. What is a Woman, of course, is the documentary about this whole transgender issue. On Saturday, Riley Gaines, who was a guest on our program on, on Friday, the University of Kentucky swimmer, who has been outspoken about biological males and transgenders participating in women's sports. Heard her on the show on Friday, very smart, very courageous young woman. She tweeted out a story and some congratulations. There's a 14-year-old girl, she was 14 at the time in 2022, named Blake Allen, 14-year-old girl, athlete at some high school in Vermont. Riley Gaines uh, tweeted out, so happy for volleyball player and friend Blake Allen for feeling uneasy undressing next to a boy in her locker room. She was suspended from school and her dad lost his job. They told her she would only be let back in if she publicly apologized for her feelings of discomfort. So this transgender issue and this whole LGBTQ thing that I keep saying is at the heart of a lot of the chaos, the polarization, the division, this whole movement. I've, I've said for years, Black Lives Matter is really the LGBTQ movement. It's all the alphabet mafia and that whole gay, lesbian, transgender, queers, bisexuals, silent P, pedophilia, all of that is at the heart of a spiritual war going on in America. There is a ton of conversation about this. And this, this issue seems so critical that kids were literally, this is a 14-year-old girl, a volleyball player, clearly a freshman in high school, possibly an, even an eighth grader, but I think a freshman in high school. She expresses discomfort about dressing in a locker room with a boy with batting balls she and gets suspended from school and her dad, who is a junior high soccer coach in the same school system, gets fired from his job because he comes out and says, hey man, my daughter's uncomfortable with this, we're uncomfortable with this, we're not for this. Riley Gaines, clearly has been talking to these people behind the scenes, and she acknowledges her support of them and the fact that they have won this lawsuit, and the school's now gonna have to pay them $125,000, lawyer's fees, all this other stuff. The man, Trav the dad has been reinstated, Travis Allen has been reinstated to his job. The daughter is no longer suspended and, and doesn't have to apologize for being uncomfortable. A 14-year-old girl is uncomfortable undressing in a locker room with a boy. Imagine that. She sounds real normal. She gets suspended. Elon Musk, and this man tweets up a storm, he ain't scared. 
he co-signs incredibly unjust what had happened to this family. Elon Musk, I, I don't know where Elon Musk, in the grand scheme of things, 10 years from now, where he's going to be. I hear the complaints about transhumanism. I hear the complaints about this woman he has installed as CEO of Twitter. But time and time again, Elon Musk keeps making the right decisions and pretty bold and courageous decisions time and time again. I don't think Elon Musk is some kind of Christian warrior. He just seems to be a man controlled by common sense and fairness. And so I have to give him credit because this transgender issue is at the heart of everything. The, the division, the, the polarization, the political polarization, and, and what's really at play and at stake here in America, it can all come down, it all comes down to the transgender issue. And that's why I gotta go, hats off to Matt Walsh and the Daily Wire for jumping on this topic in a big way, putting out the documentary, What is a Woman? And Matt Walsh just crossed over two million uh, followers on Twitter. As I said, his documentary, 171 million, 175 million views on Twitter. He has uh, put out tweets celebrating the fact that his documentary is now one of the most important documentaries perhaps in American history. I can't argue with any of that. It is a perfectly timed documentary and speaks to this time that we're living in in America. Historians will one day say that this era that we're living in right now is trans-America. Trans-America, that's the era that we're living in. And hats off to Elon Musk, to Riley Gaines, to Matt Walsh for jumping into this debate and argument and, and coming down on the right side of facts, truth, and, and in my view, a biblical point of view. This thing is so crazy. One of the other tweets I saw this weekend, a woman named Nina Turner, you've probably seen her on CNN, think she's been on MSNBC, uh, she used to be a state senator in Ohio. Uh, she's on television a lot. She's allegedly an educated person. Uh, she's now out of politics, but she tweeted out, if someone says they're a woman, they're a woman, not a tough concept. This was in some back and forth. She was having, I think, complaining about something Ron DeSantis had done in Florida. Uh, that impacted the transgender crowd. This is an educated woman, been on TV, been in politics, a Bernie Sanders supporter, uh, a public intellectual. <clears throat> and a, she's married and allegedly has a kid. And she said, if, a, if someone says they're a woman, they're a woman, not a tough concept. And so it just baffles me that we're in this place in American society 
where there's this huge debate about what is a woman, what is a man, are there more than uh, two genders? This issue is critically important for some reason. Some This fundamental issue that was settled in the book of Genesis thousands of years ago is now at the forefront of everything that's going on in America and across the globe. There are people like Nina Turner that think that gender is a state of mind. If someone says there's something, that's what they are. How did we get here? How, how did this happen? Why is this issue so important? That's what we're going to delve into do today with Royce and Shamika. And now we've been playing around in the shallow end of the pool, but we're gonna go off a little deeper and I wanna start here before I get there. I wanna play you a Netflix uh, video, or not, it's not a Netflix movie. <laughs> I follow a Twitter feed called Illuminati Bot. Tweets out a lot of interesting information or conspiracy theories. They put one together, it's a three minute video I wanna play for you guys about Netflix. And, and when I watched this video, I thought of Royce White because Royce is always complaining about hey man, we don't even wanna address the real issues. We just wanna, as Roy says, jerk off, be entertained, watch basketball, football, play video games. We don't even wanna deal with reality. And this video about Netflix hammers Royce's point. Let's play the video. Known as the father of psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud claimed his father molested all of his siblings. Freud was a cocaine addict, as well as a pedophile advocate, who taught that children sexually lusted after their parents, and that children who reported sexual abuse by adults had either imagined or fantasized the experience. He believed that women were the problem with society, and all their problems stemmed from not having a penis. Freud's grandson, Sir Clement Freud, has been accused of molesting multiple young girls and was suspected in the disappearance of Madeleine McCann. Sigmund Freud's sister, Anna Freud, whom Freud claimed was regularly molested and abused by their perverted father, gave birth to Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, the father of propaganda. Bernays took his family's work in psychology and used it to help governments and corporations manipulate the minds of the public. Hired by the American Tobacco Company, Bernays manipulated women into buying more cigarettes by convincing them that smoking was a form of feminist liberation. During this propaganda campaign, he dubbed cigarettes torches of freedom. Thanks to Bernays and his family's twisted legacy, social engineering became big business. Modern psychology was used to exploit mankind's mental weaknesses, nurture the public's lower desires, and turn people into mindless consumers. Is it any surprise then that the great nephew of Edward Bernays is none other than Mark Bernays Randolph, 
the co-founder and original CEO of Netflix. Does anyone really think this is a coincidence? Netflix has not only replaced network television as the premier home of pop culture, it is also continuing the degenerate, depraved social engineering of the Bernays Freud legacy. In 13 Reasons Why, Netflix was accused of romanticizing suicide during a recent increase of teenage suicides. In The Devil Next Door, they were accused of rewriting history to deceive viewers into believing that Poland was responsible for establishing Nazi death camps. In The First Temptation of Christ, Jesus Christ is depicted as a homosexual. And a Texas grand jury indicted Netflix for depicting child sex in the movie Cuties. Netflix and Chill, the new preferred method for brainwashing the masses. Brought to you by one of the most depraved, degenerate families of the modern era. Turn it off and wake up. That's fascinating to me. Now I'm just that that's fascinating to me. Sigmund Freud, Freudian slip. I mean, he's a respected. I had no idea that this guy was a pedophile, child molester, uh, cokehead, nutty person. I knew, you know, I knew a little bit about him. I knew a little bit about Edward Bernays and his starting of propaganda and all that other stuff and his role in, in helping transition Americans into being a consumer-obsessed society. N knew that. Knew nothing about his great-grandnephew or whatever co-founding and being the CEO of Netflix, but it makes sense. And then when you start thinking about that, this family and how depraved it is and its lineage, and then I just started thinking about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, and I believe his daughter, Ashley Biden. And I just started thinking about Joe Biden's daughter complaining in her diary about her dad taking inappropriate showers with her as a child. And I think about Hunter Biden and all the coke and prostitutes and allegations of deals with foreign countries and, and allegations of involvement with his sister-in-law, with young kids. And then I thought about all these elites attached to Jeffrey Epstein and Epstein Island. And I just tried to think, who's in control? Who are these powerful elites that are celebrated throughout history and rise to power. Who are they? And is there some sort of connection, a theme running through all of them? This sexual depravity, this infatuation with children, this promotion of the LGBTQ IA plus silent P movement. And then I started thinking about what I what I brought up last week when this topic came up that Bill Clinton 
who has his uh, sexual depravity issues and allegations from women. But but beyond that, in 1999, as I talked about, and this is all easily discoverable stuff, he's the one that turned Pride Month into this national thing. He's the one that declared gays and lesbians we're going to commemorate the month of June as Pride Month. We've turned sexual choices, sexual preferences, sexual whatever you want to call it, into an entire month of celebration and worship. Why? We've put sex front and center. The entire country, all of our institutions spend a month celebrating people's sexual preferences. And then 12 years after Bill Clinton in 2011, as I talked about last week, Barack Obama adds the B and the T and the Q and all the other letters to Pride Month. This is a fact. I'm not making it up. Barack Obama, Bill Clinton said, hey, Pride Month is about lesbians and gays. Barack Obama in 2011 says, no, it's also about transgender, queers, and bisexual people. Huh. Barack Obama did that. This is mind blowing to me. And so, and this is where I'm saying, we're going off into the deepest end of the pool and I'm going to irritate people, but I don't care at this point. It has to be discussed. Let's play the Joan Rivers clip. This, this has to be discussed, play the clip. Ms. Rivers, how are you? You made you made a ton of news right. officiating the wedding in New York yesterday. Is this like a is this like a new uh, cottage uh, career move I for you? I'm so excited. Okay. And I should do very well because I don't show. And do you think that the country will see the first the United States will see the first gay president or the first woman well, we president? We have it with Obama, so let's just calm down. Got it. You no, know Michelle is a trans. I'm sorry, she's a what? A transgender. We all know. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. It's okay. It has to be discussed. I don't have an opinion on it. I don't know what's true. But you can't look at American history. You can't look at what has transpired just in the last 25, 30 years or so. You can't tie it all together going back to Sigmund Freud and Edward Bernays and Netflix and, and Joe Biden and just, you just can't do it without discussing everything that's on the table. And, and, and I get that uh, Barack Obama is a Christ-like figure to many people on the left, and particularly for black people. But this is what I, when I talk about 
the problems with racial idolatry. When you make race the determining factor on what you will and won't support, what you will and won't overlook, that's you put blinders on and you can't see what's obvious and what must be discussed. Is Joan Rivers the authority? No, of course not. She's a comedian. Who knows what she was doing? She died a month or so after making those statements. Who knows? But why would she say it? Was that her history of saying those type things about presidents and first ladies? What was the motive? What was the agenda? Why did the guy even ask the question? I don't know, but it's out there. It was discussed at the time. It all just went away and everybody pretends like it didn't happen. And then again, this weekend, because I'm, I'm just looking with my eyes wide open. Some guy named Stu Peters from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, he's got a Twitter feed before this morning. I had never followed him, but his stuff shows up on my Twitter feed from time to time. And he tweeted out this collage of pictures. Let's put that on screen. Let's put the, the collage of pictures, please. Uh, Barack Obama doesn't have children, and he de definitely didn't have them with Michelle in quotes. Martin Nesbitt and Anita Blanchard are Sasha and Malaya, Mal Malaya Obama's real parents. Nesbitt is also the chairman of the Obama Foundation. Keep that picture on screen. The guy in the far left is Martin Nesbitt. He looks a lot like, almost identical, to Brock and Michelle's oldest daughter. Anita Blanchard, his wife, Martin Nesbitt's wife, she's a doctor. She looks almost identical to their youngest daughter. These are just facts what they look like. I'm not saying that they're the parents, but what an amazing coincidence that the founder of, of the chairman of the Obama foundation looks like Barack Obama's father looks identical. What an incredible coincidence. And then the doctor who the media says delivered the babies. Incredible. She looks like the youngest daughter. How, I mean, my God, give me the lottery ticket numbers, please. Somebody. How does this happen? How, how? that man, Martin Nesbitt, met Michelle Obama, I think when he was a high school basketball player because Michelle's Brother, I think Craig Robinson was a high school basketball coach. So she goes way back with Martin Nesbitt. And the Obamas have known Martin Nesbitt and Anita Blanchard. They're married. You know, this is one modern marriage. She ain't got his last name. But they're married. And they go on vacations together. And there's other pictures of them on vacation with the Obamas and the two kids. And in every picture... Martin Nesbitt looks like Malaya, Malaya, and 
Anita looks like the other daughter. Now, you can't look at those pictures and say, oh, yeah, it looks just like uh, Barack and Michelle. But you can damn sure say it looks like Martin and Anita. And so when I started thinking about this, I started thinking about the whole birther movement controversy. And the birther thing used to baffle me like, why is this a big deal? Just show your birth certificate, you know, move on. Why is this some big controversy? And even if they did question, and it started with Hillary Clinton, but it got pinned on Donald Trump. And I'm just like, why is this the most racist thing in the world? That, oh my God, it's racist. He thinks Obama was born in Kenya. Well, because the entire, this is what I was thinking in 2008, in 2012, whenever these controversies were going on, the whole time I was thinking, like, if someone accused me of being from Kenya, would I be offended? Would I think it's racist? What, what, Kenya? What's the big deal? I mean, I, I get that it makes you disqualified from being the president, but I just don't see it as racist. We took on the name African American. Someone's accusing your heritage of being from Africa. Isn't Kenya, again, I'm no geography buff, but isn't Kenya part of Africa? Let me look it up. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I, you know, because I really am this stupid that I got to look it up. I'm that, I told you all, I graduated Ball State with a, uh, yeah, Kenya's from Africa, the Republic of Kenya. Part of East Africa. How is that racist? If I call myself an African American and people are saying, man, I think your daddy's from Kenya. Or I think you were born in Kenya. Why is that racist? It's not. This whole birther thing to me, feels like a smokescreen. It's drawing a line in the sand. There's a line of questions you are not allowed to ask about Barack and Michelle Obama. And so let's draw a line in the sand and anybody that questions where his daddy's from and if Barack was born in Kenya, we're drawing a line in the sand, that's racist and that's out of bounds. And they draw that line in the sand so you never ask The real questions. A major celebrity, Joan Rivers, in an off-the-cuff comment, tell every Brock's gay and Michelle's transgender. And no one ever asked a question about it because everybody knows that would be racist because the birther thing has drawn that line in the sand. Any uncomfortable questions, that's racist. And so if ever across the Internet, put the picture back up of the family portrait of the six of them across the country. Or across the Internet, pictures like this are everywhere. If you do anybody punch anything into Google, do your own research. This stuff is everywhere and has been everywhere for several years. I've been looking at it for several years, never saying a word, blowing most of it off. 
Like, oh, this can't be true. But, but then you start thinking about it, you start thinking about the history of these politicians, and you go, oh my God, what is going on here? What, what is, and so I'm sorry, this trans issue, this LGBTQ issue, all of this seems to be front and center and the most important thing going on in America. I look at the reaction to Matt Walsh in that documentary. I look at the war that's being waged against Elon Musk and he knows how dangerous it is to come down with a position on any of this LGBTQ transgender stuff. It will get you canceled. If you don't take the right position, and I'm looking at all of these celebrities, all of these celebrities take the position on the transgender thing. As it, and again, I've lived 56 years. And I can go back five years, 10 years, 15. These questions and comments and position, they weren't even on the table. Nobody was thinking there was 32 genders. And then boom, overnight it pops up. And like, oh no, if someone says they're a woman, they're a woman. We got Supreme Court justices that can't answer the question, what is a woman? How? How did we get here? Why is it this important? Clearly it's important. Clearly they're protecting something. Clearly there's an agenda at foot, afoot. And to me, and this has nothing, I don't, I don't have a 100% position on Obama and his kids, Michelle and the pictures of her with a wiener and all. I, I don't have a position on all, all that. But I do know there's a spiritual war going on. We're being disconnected from God. And at the heart of that is this whole transgender and sexuality and gay, lesbian, and all of that movement. It's all at the heart of it. It's how we're being dis... The Nina Turner calls herself a Christian. She calls herself a Christian. And she's tweeting out that, uh, you know, if someone says they're a woman, they're a woman. Where's that in the Bible? I've gone on longer than I planned. I, I, we got plenty of room for, for Royce. Royce, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to you here in a minute, 30, 40. I don't care how long it goes. We may have to boot somebody. Maybe we won't ever get to Steve Kim. Don't, I'm not, don't hold me to that. We we'll have a marathon show. Tell Steve Kim, back up about 30 minutes. Uh, tell Shamika, back up about 30 minutes. I want to give Royce plenty of room. And sorry, Royce, I'm sorry for making you hold this long. Royce, let me take care of uh, the love of my life, preborn, uh, before I get to you so I can clear the deck and then I'm gonna give you the floor and we're gonna let Royce cook. But uh, I wanna tell you guys about what we do here at Fearless. We support preborn. We support a mindset and a belief system that life begins at conception. That mindset informs our worldview on everything else. Life outside the womb, life inside the womb, it's a part of our mindset as fearless soldiers. We back up that mindset by supporting preborn. Preborn provides ultrasounds, 
to expectant mothers who are considering abortion. They provide the ultrasound. Ultrasound shows that woman the heartbeat of the baby, shows her an image of that baby inside the womb, and that woman, most times, 70-80% of the time, makes a different choice to keep the baby, and then preborn steps in and provides her the help, support, and materials and things she needs to get through the first two years of that baby's life outside the womb. Preborn is awesome. Preborn is something I personally support on a monthly basis, and then I make random contributions, and as a fearless soldier, I'm asking you to do the same. $28 pays for one ultrasound, $140 pays for five ultrasounds. Whether you give $5, what $28, $14,000, it all goes directly to ultrasounds and supporting that expectant mother. I brought Dan Steiner, who started this, onto the show, met him, talked to him personally. The money isn't misallocated. It's not paid to a bunch of middle management uh, executives. This goes directly to saving babies' lives. Be a good, fearless soldier. Two ways to give. Pound 250, say the keyword baby. Or do it the Jason Whitlock way. Preborn.com slash Jason. Preborn.com slash Jason. We're saving babies' lives. You can help. Be a good, fearless soldier. And when you do, email me. Fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Let me know. I'll send you a response, a thank you. Love it when you guys send me emails. Keep them coming. Uh, Royce, <coughs> I apologize uh, for making you wait, but I just wanted to provide a little context before you came in and provided some history and a deeper context to a conversation I think a lot of people are afraid to have, but th this whole weird sexual dysphoria, dynamic, perversion that seems to be at the heart of politics could be at the heart of why I've never been completely comfortable with the Obamas, and, and they may be the tip of the spear of this whole deal, but ha have I, I'm just going to shut up. Have I said anything inappropriate or jump in, get in where you fit in? Have you said anything inappropriate? I mean, I, 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 would, uh, I would assume our enemies out there would call you a white supremacist, uh, as they've done me many times. Uh, any, any criticism of Barack Obama by default makes us all white supremacists. Um, you know, Barack Obama is the greatest example of the cultural Marxist agenda, cultural Marxist identity politics being, uh, you know, being ushered in on, on the back of black identity. And it's, it's been, you know, th this is long withstanding that they use the black identity or black history or black people in America to, to bring this movement forward. Really post-civil rights, right? The Civil Rights Act was, was really the, uh, the inception of this whole scam or, or, or agenda. Uh, but Barack Obama is the, like, like the sine qua non of it. And, and in reality, you know, Barack Obama's presidency, as much as it is promoted commercially as him being the first black president, really, he's known for two things. One, he ran up an, an, uh, an outrageous debt 
Okay, he came in at the tail end of a housing market crash, a financial crisis, and he turned the taps of liquidity on and just let the Federal Reserve run amok. Uh, and and also he he heralded the the entire LGBTQ era that we're still living in today, uh, as well as being uh, regarded by the Jewish community as the first Jewish president uh, because of uh, he has so much Jewish support and from you know the polit- the Jewish political lobby. I mean so none of his presidency, none of his policy had much to do with helping black people at all. It's all been cultural Marxist identity politics. Is is are, are the persistent questions about Michelle and gender identity and Barack's sexual preference. Are those fair questions? Absolutely. I, I mean, anybody who, first of all, I don't know if the, if, if Michelle's, you know, packing a, packing a sack or not. I can't, can't be sure. I've never seen her sack. I'd have to get up close to, to, to really know. Never been anywhere near the Obamas. Um, it's certainly conspicuous how out of his way he went to become this figurehead of this LGBTQ movement and 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 the policies that it's led to. I thought what Joan Rivers said was strange, to say the least. I mean, she was dead serious. Now, she was older. Maybe she was in bad health. Maybe her, her uh, you know, cognitive ability was, was leaving her. She seemed pretty coherent to me, much more coherent than Joe Biden seems to be right now. And he can be in charge of an entire nuclear arsenal. But we can't listen to Joan Rivers making off the cuff comment about some insider baseball with with the D.C. political elite. So, hey, I think it's completely warranted. But aside from the specific case with the Obamas, it's hard for people to grasp uh, some of these weird, perverted and sexual politics because they think all of this is very new. Uh, and the D.C. elites and, and the political elites and the financial elites, the Epsteins of the world, these sexual politics are not new. These these sort of sexual uh, uh, deprivations are not new, even when it comes to childbearing. You know, this over scientification, uh, you know, scientific approach to childbearing is not new for your hyper rich and elite. It's just not a new thing. Surrogacy and 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 having and even furthermore. From a political standpoint, from a political marketing standpoint, you know, uh, I can't tell you how many meetings I sat in when I ran for Congress and there was all of this, uh, you know, market research or data research. It wouldn't it wouldn't be it wouldn't I wouldn't put it past the people who helped Obama get elected to look at some market research, right? Some some type of data that suggests that they should have two children and that would help them in the polls or whatever the case may be and find two people around him who seem to have uh, you know long lifelong friendship with them to provide that. It's not far fetched for well, me. I, I wanna I I wanna be I wanna be fair, not that you said anything unfair. But I, I want to be fair and show People Magazine ran a series of pictures from uh, Michelle Obama's childhood. And so and, and this was a way, I think, of of trying to answer these questions. And so I want to show if we can show that series of pictures that I asked for just in the interest of fairness. That's Michelle and her little brother as 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 kids. Uh, Let's run through a few more of these just so that's her at the prom with 
I'm not sure who that, that the man does not look like an 18 year old, but I, I don't know who that is or dad or so. I, I don't, but that's her at the prom, uh, allegedly. Uh, show a few more. That that's that I used to all, until I saw this in People magazine. I always I've seen this picture many times. I used to think this was a Photoshop. I didn't think it was a real picture because uh, you know the short hair on Michelle and it just it just doesn't look very, that picture doesn't look very feminine. I thought this was something that someone had cooked up to halfway embarrass her. Here's a better picture of her and Barack, I think early in their uh, relationship. Looks pretty feminine there. And so I, I just, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that she would be transgender, but the questions are so persistent and then the agenda and, and the importance yeah. that has been placed on this whole transgender issue, I, I just, how it got to this level of importance, it's such a small, tiny, or it was such a small, tiny percentage of the American population. What justifies, let's say, being generous, 1% of the population requiring 30% of the conversation it, it's never made sense to me. If, if, if you can pull the picture back up, the real question here isn't about Michelle's sexuality or or gender. I think the real question is, why does Barack Obama have his legs crossed and smirking like that? That's 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 real. That's real suspect, in my opinion, just on face value. I'm, I'm more questioning Barack Obama and how weak his ankles look in that in that picture. But nevertheless, um, um Look, the, the 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 better question, like again around Barack Obama, all of these characters, these DC elites, these lifelong DC people, these lifelong global governance people, global institutions. Remember, Barack Obama's supposed biological father was the the Kenyan uh, physicist or geneticist or whatever he was. I'm not not sure. He was a scientist who Barack Obama only met a couple of times in his entire life which is conspicuous on to begin with, okay? And he grew up in where? Hawaii, right? That's what the, the huge controversy was. He grew up in Hawaii. And in his diary or in his memoirs or in some of his writings, it's long been uh, dis, you know, discussed, talked about, disclosed, that he regarded a man named Frank Marshall Davis as his real father and who stepped in sort of as a father figure who looks just like Barack Obama. I don't know if you can pull up the picture of Frank Marshall Davis, but he looks just like Barack Obama himself. Yeah. yeah, he was a communist leader. Frank Marshall Davis wrote that he, you know, loved that Russia was able to throw off its its uh, monarchy uh, through the communist movement. Uh, and, and, and that was supposedly Barack Obama's real father. There's rumors about that, or there's allegations about that. Um, I can't, who, who knows with these people? Who knows with these people? I mean, these people are spooky. What I, what I think is important, what I think is important is that you're, you, most of your average Americans can't wrap their minds around the fact that people would go out of their way to tell these kind of lies and deceive the American public. Um, and, and, and I'll take it a step further. Historically, they do not accept, many people do not accept the depth of deception and, and wickedness that presides in our government. And I told you earlier today, just look at the United Nations. 
Hold for one second. Hold for, I want to, because I want okay. you to give this history lesson, but I want to provide a little bit more context and I want to clear something up because you helped clear up in my mind. Because it isn't the whole birther thing. It's about Barack being born in Indonesia, maybe. And, and isn't that, isn't, I think that's the allegation. I may have said Kenya because I was thinking about his dad or, or whatever, but that's one part of it. And then two, before you give this, because this history is fascinating. That What Royce does an awesome job is providing that historical context to all conversations, telling us things, informing us things we did not know. But, but the one reason, that I want to buttress your point about if you study the Kennedy family, Mm -hmm. And how Joe Kennedy crafted a narrative about himself and about his family and how his sons, while being patriotic, they were mm -hmm. also trying to build their resume. That's what they joined the military and went off to war. And there's all kinds of allegations that uh, John Kennedy's heroic acts were exaggerated or fabricated, uh, I think, during World War II. And, and so you're, you're right in terms of there is a lot of managing of narrative around these political candidates. And, and, and I, I watched a PBS documentary on uh, John Kennedy that was trying to be favorable to John Kennedy, but in telling the facts about how ill he was and how addicted to medication he was and how I think... He met with uh, the Russian leader, I can't think of the guy's name, but he was coked up or high on all these drugs he had to take to maintain his health. And, and so I, I am open to the fact that narratives can be crafted, histories can be made up, and people can be installed as presidents. But anyway, I, I, you and I were talking this morning, and, and yeah. in terms of the spiritual war we got going on, you connected it to the United Nations. Please unpack that. Okay. Again, what I was saying is that people have a tough time grasping just how deceptive and wicked the institutions that preside over them really are. They have a tough time. They don't want to accept it. The people who know about it, they mock it, they scoff at it, they call us conspiracy theories. The people who are Christians, they know we're in a spiritual warfare. The people in the middle, they kind of go, ah, oh, that's a little out there for me. But you don't have to go far to find these things. And that, that's what really frustrates me the most in trying to, you know, and, and I'm sure it frustrates people like Alex Jones, it's frustrated him for 20 years because the, the evidence is not really hidden. I mean, it's just a matter of us, like the guy said about Netflix and Sigmund Freud, who, in my opinion, there are two, uh, um, there are two prevailing anti-Jews of the modern era. One is Marx, Karl Marx, and the other would be Sigmund Freud. Um, and, and these people are as, as anti-God as it gets. And this whole anti-God movement goes right back to the Roman Empire when they stuck the spear into Christ. I mean, they've been in trying to undo Christ since then, and and people fail to fail to understand that because they won't look. So the the history that that I tried to you know enlighten you on earlier is, I'm I'm sitting here over the weekend and I'm just skimming through the United Nations because make no make no mistake about it, another pandemic is coming. When the World Health Organization, which is run by the United Nations, tells you another pandemic is coming, 
you should know another pandemic is coming. The question is, is it natural jumping from a bat in Wuhan or did it leak out of a lab? I'll let the audience decide. Seems pretty clear now, gain of function. Point is, I'm skimming through the United Nations website and I come across a, a list of NGOs and one of the NGOs is the Lucis Trust. Okay, the Lucis Trust and and just because my familiarity with the, the language and the Latin language, I know. I see Lucis, I look for, I think Lucifer. That's just natural for me. I don't know how other people think. They got their website listed right on the, this is the United Nations official website, okay? They got this group listed as uh, uh, an NGO or as a, a social economic affairs NGO. So I go to their website and right on their website, it tells you exactly who these people are. I mean, and when I say these people, I don't mean Barack Obama, Michelle Obama. I'm talking about the entire globalist establishment and agenda. It tells you exactly who they are. Allison Foster Bailey. Allison Foster Bailey founded the Lucis Trust. It used to be the Lucis the um, Association, okay, the Lucis Association. Before then, in 1922, Allison Foster Bailey founded Lucifer Publishing Company. And they changed it to Lucis Trust because of how Christians felt about the story of Lucifer. And their whole story is Lucifer, the, the story on Lucifer is completely wrong. It has nothing to do with Satan. It has nothing to do with Satan at all. Lucifer's the light bearer. He's the he's the knowledge bringer. He's a he's the good guy. It's actually God who's the bad guy. Lucifer's trying to warn us that God is an evil tyrant. Okay, that's the whole Luciferian movement. And my whole point in bringing this up to you earlier is we think of the United Nations as this peacekeeping organization that was founded in 1950 after World War II. That's the common belief about it. But this group, the Lucis Trust, still stands today on the official website of the United Nations as a Luciferian thought group, as a Luciferian think tank, as, a, as Luciferian intellectuals. Let's bring up, the, let's bring up, and good, bring up the picture right there. It's, it's listed right there. It says who they found, who founded them, and the whole nine tells their story. Now, Alice and Foster Bailey are an example of these early 1900s, late 1800 Atlanticist Americans. Again, Upper East Coast Corridor Atlanticist globalist sort of intellectuals involved in publishing, involved in media, involved in newspapers, so on and so forth. They named the Lucifer Publishing Company after a book, the, the first book that was written, Initiation into Humanism and Solar, Initiation into Human and Solar, in 1922. This is 25 years before the United Nations even takes its first piss in the Middle East. 1922. Initiation into human and solar. And who is the thought leader of this, this sort of journal that inspired this book? Helena Blavatsky. Who was Helena Blavatsky? Who was HPV, HPB? Helena Blavatsky was a Russian mystic. She was an occultist. She, she was one of the founders of the Theosophical Society. This is all the history that people either aren't, are too busy to go look up or in some ways maybe it's being hidden from you in the algorithms or whatever the case. This isn't hard to find. So you go look up Helena Blavatsky and you find out very quickly that she's one of the, one of the hitters of an entire era of Germanic 
Germanic anti-Catholic church thought leadership, okay, philosophy, movement, political movement. And she, it's it. one, I thought it was funny to mention to you because right there, if you go look up her Wikipedia, which I think I sent the image of, it says that she's a Russian mystic. But where does it say she was born? In Dnipro, Ukraine, okay? So if you go back just 150 years, the Ukraine didn't exist. It was a part of the Russian empire. It was a part of Russia. Now, because we're in a war that disputes the Ukraine sovereignty and the Russian sovereignty and the whole history and identity, now she was from Ukraine. But it still calls her a Russian mystic. That's not the point. The point is who she influenced. Who did Blavatsky influence? What was what's the influence? Pull it right up on Wikipedia if you can. I want people to know how you can how easy it is to find the stuff. Bring up Helena Blavatsky because they're not hiding it on my Wikipedia. They'll hide all the things that the truth. Helena Blavatsky. Look up who she influenced. It's such a wide spectrum. I think it's it's honestly hilarious. On one end, it says she influenced Mahatma Gandhi. Okay. Yes, the, the, the forebearer of civil rights in modern history, Mahatma Gandhi. So on one end, she uh, she influenced Gandhi with her with her philosophy. And on the other end, she influenced who? Guido von Liszt. Guido von Liszt was the Austrian the from, you know, an Austrian occultist who was a thought leader. This guy right here. Great. Guido von Liszt. OK, he is the, the the thought leader. He was the progenitor of the eugenics movement. He was the progenitor of the Aryan uh, uh, Nazi. This was in the late 1800s, in, in early 1900s, before Hitler ever rose to power. This guy was moving around in Germany, pushing occultist, Germanic, tribe, nature, religionist, anti-Catholic movement. And, and again, I bring this all up because people have a tough time dealing with any patriots out there that say this is a satanic agenda. This is a Luciferian agenda. They just don't know the history. When the Roman Empire encountered the Germanics, they made them adopt Christianity. They made them adopt Catholicism. And these Germanics did it at the tip of a spear, but they put their polytheistic pantheon in their basement down in their little private room, and they went and prayed to them when they could, okay? And because the Roman Catholic Church, in their view, was oppressive, they added the Antichrist to their pantheon, which isn't hard. Because if you're a polytheist, you can add as many deities as you want. Just like if you're an LGBTQist, you can add as many identities as you want. There's no constraints. This entire LGBTQ movement is the final product of a German... Germanic Nazi occultist thought uh, thought experiment that is explicitly anti-Christ. It's eugenics based. It influenced, you know, it, it, it informed a lot of the racist ideology. It informed Aryanism. This is why you see the runes, the Nordic uh, uh, mythology, Norse mythology. This is why the Hitler and those guys were obsessed with the Vikings and this idea of true white. And guess what? My, 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 my other point to tell you, and I told you earlier, um, and I'll, I'll end right here. The other point is that during this time of World War II where these, these European cultures clashed, there were Jews on both sides of that movement. There were Jews who were faithful, and there were Jews who rejected God. And there were Jews who resented their Jewish brothers and sisters who still believed in God. And they helped a lot of these things get going. Bledvatsky, she was a Jew. She was a Russian Jew. 
Okay, she helped inform the thought, the the theosophical, as they would call it, not philosophical, theosophical thought that led to Guido von Liszt saying, hey, the Jews have a recessive gene. We're going to kill them all. Okay, and it gets deeper. It's, you know, the Rockefellers, the Rockefellers are are sponsoring uh, Ernst Rudin. Who is Ernst Rudin? People don't even know Ernst Rudin. The head of the eugenics, Adolf Hitler's appointed eugenics head guy. He's found guilty at Nuremberg. He's sentenced and he's given a $500 fine. Where'd they stick him? At Columbia. They stick, stuck him right in American University. Why? Because the Rockefeller Foundation had been funding his eugenics research since before the war was on. They went to Roosevelt. And this is why I get pissed off when people will say we're anti-Semitic for talking. No, we don't want the Jews to be used in this BS historical narrative that tries to point us in one direction when the truth is much deeper and much darker. They went to Roosevelt. They went to Roosevelt during, you know, during the Holocaust and said and begged him, pleaded with him, please bomb the rail lines. There are Jews being being sent to death camps, bomb the rail lines. He didn't do it. Maybe he was anti-Semitic. I don't, the point I'm making all in all is this. We were the Nazis. We love the Nazis. We still are the Nazis. This is why this LGBTQ Luciferian identity movement looks so similar to Nazi Germany. Mm. And so the last dot I want to connect with you is if you look at the Biden administration, Joe Biden doing some kind of interview video with Dylan Mulvaney, Joe Biden hiring that Sam Britton to, I, I forget what job he gave him, Joe Biden, uh, what Rachel Levine, the first admiral, female admiral, Trump transgender man or whatever, to yep. Uh, Dimitri Desklaskis or whatever. I, I was looking up all, all these things that they're promoting and trying to put the transgenders and the gays in all of these prominent positions in government. And this is like Joe Biden's legacy. And this man purports to be a Catholic. And, and so when, I, again, I know people are upset with me for even host having a discussion about Obama and Michelle and, and just a lot of the rumors about them. But when you look at politics and the sexual perversion amongst it, you can throw Kennedy in there. You know, the guy was a sex addict, but, but it just seems to get worse and worse and worse. And it is all has led to this time we're at right here in America where the trans issue and, and naming a black woman, a Supreme Court justice who gets in front of Congress and says she can't define what a woman is. Yeah. What what the hell is going on? You have to ask these questions at some point. How many dots have to be connected for you before you start going? There's a pattern here. There's a deeper meaning. And all of these people seem to be in on it. There's just, you can't say, well, oh, because he's black, you know, half black, 
and and certainly, again, dude grew up in Hawaii. His daddy's from Kenya. I can't. His mama, you know, was all over the country, all over the globe, uh, banging everybody. He's raised by his. I mean, they're acting like this is Booker T. Washington's son that ran yeah. for president. It's not. This ain't. What do they call him? Foundational blood. He ain't one of them. Foundational black Americans, yeah. Foundational black Americans. Yeah, and I don't go for any of that, but again, he ain't one of them. This is is a dude with a, you know, Colin Kaepernick-type mysterious background. Colin Kaepernick don't know who his daddy is. And it don't sound like Barack knows who his daddy is. And that creates some identity issues, and that's the type of person they seem to be putting in power. And, and I look at Biden and the weirdness and the sexual depravity of his family. And I again, 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 this, you know, people have this strange affection for communism, mostly because uh, the, the way that the British Empire and, and the entire Western colonial society was formed. Right. They think, oh, capitalism, colonialism, imperialism, uh, Christianity, all fruit from the same tree. So naturally, many people who oppose uh, this sort of uh, Western European uh, imperialism and colonialism, uh, they naturally just drift towards the default of Marxism. Marxism became the anti-crown, anti-imperialist philosophy and and communists as a, a product of it. But communism was never really a political philosophy. It was always a satanic philosophy. They just wrap themselves in political uh, political circumstance or propaganda to appeal to the people. This is the merger of communism and Satanism. Of course, Satan is going to align himself with the communists. Of course, the communists are going to draw on the LGBTQ to weaken America because America is the bastion of freedom. It's the bastion of free will. It says there are individual rights that are granted to you by a creator. It affirms Christ. It affirms God in its in its fundamentals. And it's not by accident that the LGBTQ and transhumanism marks and ushers in an era of global governance where they say, hey, you're not a citizen. You're not a citizen of a nation. There are no borders. There are no nations. There's just one world and we should rule it because we know better than you do. Satanic. Thank you, Royce. Uh, We're going to bring Shamika Michelle in next get her take on this. Uh, you can email me and us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Shanika Michelle, It's my obligation to hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Uh, Shamika Michelle joining us from North Carolina. Shamika, uh, man, I feel like I've rolled myself and the whole show out into the deepest waters where we're likely going to be drowned by the Barack Obama, Michelle Obama hive. Uh, Have I made a mistake here by even addressing these nasty rumors? I agree they're nasty, but they won't go away. And, and am I making a mistake by even having this discussion? 
Listen, Jason, I do think that you're going to come under fire or we're going to come under fire because a lot of people have an issue when you say anything negative about the Obamas. But I definitely think it is a topic of discussion that people are having, even if they are having it outside of the public. I just received a video, I think maybe last week of this young black woman who was saying that she is was raised in Chicago and that it's a topic of discussion in Chicago whether or not Michelle is actually a man. And she was saying, you know, don't get upset with me. I'm trying to figure out just like y'all are trying to figure out, but it's a topic of discussion here. I spoke to another guy uh, from OL. He was, he grew up in Chicago or lived in Chicago for a very long time. He said, it's not discussed whether or not she is a man or a woman, but there is discussion that she just popped on the scene. It's almost like she was born in college. There's no real talk of her for someone who was supposedly born and raised in Chicago or been there for so long. There's no talk about her as a young person that everything, every topic that comes up about Michelle is college forward. So there are a lot of questions on whether or not this is actually a female. And Royce brought it up earlier about uh, Obama's weak ankles, but you do have people who have come out saying that Obama Barack is gay. And, um, Larry Sinclair came out saying that he performed fellatio on Obama in 1999 in the limo and then again in his hotel room. He claims that uh, Donald Young, who was the choir director for Jeremiah Wright's church, the pastor that came under scrutiny initially when uh, Obama was running uh, for president, and that man was actually murdered after coming out saying that he had a relationship with Obama. So there are definitely questions about Barack's sexuality, which would lead to questions on whether or not Michelle is actually a male or or a female. So I definitely think it's a topic of discussion. And yeah, we'll come under fire. But what we do, I've, I'm told, is press the gas when most people think we're going to back up. The, I thought I read that in one of Obama's books, he, he acknowledged having an infatuation with a college professor at some point. He didn't say anything happened, or, or, but he just said he had an infatuation. It was some kind of where he walked up to the edge of the line and said, you know, I was kind of interested. It was one of them deals where he said, you know, I woulda if I coulda. Uh -huh. and, and that, to me, seemed like an acknowledgement of you know, I, you know, maybe I'm not gay, but I had some gay thoughts, which is, is really neither here nor there. But I just prefer to deal with it transparently and honestly, if that's who you are, come out and say it. And, and, and so I'm not, I mean, I know this is a tough issue for the racial idolaters, but it's, I've just, and the whole, everything, any criticism of Barack was always framed as, hey, this is racist. But, but damn it, 
I'm just sorry. in 2023, if you cannot look back and say, hold on, man, in 2011, this guy made a big declaration that, hey, Pride Month is now about queers and transgenders and bisexuals and open this whole thing up. And, and you call yourself a Christian. And, and that doesn't trump your racial idolatry of like, I'm a, anything Barack does because he's got dark skin, I'm gonna support. The man endorsed Pride Month and opened it up to this whole transgender thing. And if you can't see that that was a mistake and contributed to where we are right now and is not the work, not the actions of somebody who is a sincere Christian or has a biblical worldview and you can't object to that and have it like, well, hold on, what's going on? Why are you doing that? And maybe he did it for just sheer political reasons. Maybe, but again, the transgender crowd just isn't that big. And in 2011, I, maybe he saw it coming that this was going to be the biggest issue of the day and there's a whole big political block, but I'm just sorry, the questions are fair. Everybody uh, with a biblical view should have some buyer's remorse on Barack Obama. Oh, definitely. You know, when you said last week that he was responsible for adding the bisexual and trans to to Pride Month, it popped up in my head again, the questions on where he stood with his sexuality and, you know, where Michelle stood on her gender or whatever. And also the, the fact that Michelle had the interview with Dwayne Wade's son, uh, I think it was last year, maybe, where he told her, you know, he just wanted to be his genuine self like she is. And all of those things. Do we have that clip. Hold for a second. I thought we were grabbing that clip. Do we have that clip? Oh, we don't. OK. All right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, those led to genuine questions in my mind. And we have to actually be honest that Barack Obama pushed a lot of this LGBTQ through when he was president. Although Joe Biden is on record saying that he believed uh, marriage was between a man and a woman. He changed as vice president with Barack Obama and Barack pushed a lot of things through. For me, that is when the, um, you know, I, I started questioning my vote for him because I'm thinking, gosh, he's passing a lot of gay stuff going through. And now we're having the question whether or not men should be going in the, the women's restroom. And it was, it was a lot. And he, you know, I think he provided a smoke screen for black people because we were just focused on the fact that here was a black man in the White House with a black wife and black kids, that we missed a lot of the things that he was doing that put us on this slippery slope that we are on now. And it, a lot of it was because we didn't look at it hard enough because it was Barack Obama. So I think he was strategically placed in office. 
I don't necessarily think, you know, oh, we voted him in. He came from out of nowhere as this, you know, great senator. And we hadn't really heard about him. There was no great buildup. I think he was strategically placed for that reason to provide a smokescreen for people to be just in awe of having the first black president and not see that he was really put there to push the LGBTQ plus the P is silent agenda. So you're a mother of three. Let's put the picture back up of the Barack Obama family photo that includes six people. Uh, the, the doctor and the, his wife, or the, the Obama Foundation chairman, his wife, sister, yeah, put, you're a mother of three. When you look at that picture, I, I'm just sorry. I know what my grandmother would say in her 80s, 70s, in her 60s, you know, something here doesn't add up. I mean, that, that, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. That one there looks like it's about, a, it's, it's worth a million words. Yeah, for sure those girls look like the Nesbits. Is that their name? They definitely look like them. And you have to also remember too, Jason, Michelle came out and talked about this so-called miscarriage that she had before having these two kids and said that she had fertility issues and that these kids were produced um, through IVF. And so for me... I just don't understand why there are no pictures of her pregnant. All of the ones that people try to produce, you can tell are recent pictures of her where, the, where they just added a, a stomach. You know, even I, having a 27-year-old, have pictures of myself pregnant. You know, this was long before I understand, long before the whole maternity photo shoots that people love to do now. But there should still be some pictures of her being pregnant. And I would think if this was such a struggle for you, you would want to document the fact that you had a miscarriage and then had to go through fertility treatments. And then here you are pregnant. You know, here's the miracle. God did it. You know, uh, I, I don't understand why there is no pictures of her pregnant. And people say, oh, she doesn't owe us anything. But if she herself has said, we don't talk about this as women, miscarriages and infertility, and we need to do better about sharing these stories so that other women can feel like they aren't, you know, incompetent. Where, show us some pictures. Show us the miracle. Show us that, you know, God did it. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Let's see some of that. So I do think it's strange as a mother myself that there are absolutely no pictures of her pregnant with these miracle babies. Oh, okay. I can, go, if she, the excuse there, my, well, she didn't take pictures, she was pregnant, wasn't comfortable with the pictures, doesn't want to share it. Put the picture back up. This is what I, I just can't get over. I mean, the coincidence of the chairman of the Obama Foundation just happens to look like your oldest daughter. And his wife, who is a doctor, who is credited 
with delivering your babies just happens to look like your youngest daughter. That's a hell of a coincidence, Shamika. For sure. And listen, if that means we have 10 full hats on, then I need to just go and get the rentals out and wrap it around my head because I definitely see the similarities. And I agree. They look a lot like this couple. And again, I don't have any proof the other way that she actually carried these kids. So I have to lean with the rest of the tinfoil hat wearing people that these kids belong to the Nesbits. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I, I, I'm not going to, because I'm just, I'm not. I know you can read my <laughs> mind and know what I think, but all I just want, I just want somebody, if, if I had some kids that look like my best friend, I would explain it. I, I'm just sorry. If I had kids that look like my best friend and somebody that worked for me for 20 years, I would explain, like, I know this is crazy, y'all. I know what you're thinking, but trust me, here's the DNA proof, here's blah, blah, blah. I, I, at the very least, you would have to think, did this man bang my wife? I'm just sorry. And I'm just keeping it real. You, 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 you've been, you know what grandmamas and mamas and when women get in the corner like, man, she looked like so-and-so's brother. Or she looks mm -hmm. just like, you remember uh, her high school boyfriend, so-and-so, that baby looked just like. Those conversations, that's commonplace in families, whether black or white. That conversation goes on constantly. And you can't tell me the Obamas aren't blind. And, 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 and their family and friends, and America's not blind. Somebody has to explain this. It's worthy of an explanation. Or you should have got rid of these people. And say, literally, like, distance yourself from them. You got rid of Reverend Wright. You distance yourself from him. Don't make this man the head of the Obama Foundation if he looks just like your oldest daughter. And and yeah. just the whole story, I mean, the woman delivers the baby. How, how, I mean, this woman delivers the baby and looks just like the youngest baby. Somebody, please, God, help me understand this. Help me. Yeah, we made uh, the Kardashians give us a, a reason. You know, when everybody kept saying that Chloe belonged to OJ and Chris had to come out and actually say, you know, hey, this is what happened or this didn't happen. So if the Kardashians can come out with some type of explanation, I don't see why we can't hold the Obamas to the same standards. But, you know, just like Chloe favored Obama until she had all of those plastic surgeries. These kids look like that couple for sure. Uh, I probably asked, I think I asked you this last week, but I'm, I'm going to ask again. Uh, what do you think of Elon Musk, uh, his decision to support Matt Walsh and what is a woman, and then doubling down on Saturday, backing up Riley Gaines on the transgender sports issue? I, I got, you know, we question Elon Musk all the time on this show, but he keeps coming up with the right answers, in my opinion. 
He definitely keeps coming up with the right answers. And I will say when it comes to Elon, I do think he is better than what we had before. It's just that if he ever, you know, backtracks or steps to the side, I won't be surprised because I just don't understand what would snatch him back or keep him on this right path unless, you know, uh, he's had some type of turnaround in his beliefs that aren't public that we don't know about yet, you know, which could always happen. But he definitely keeps going in the right direction. So maybe eventually he'll come out and we'll get to see a public baptism. Who knows? But I appreciate the fact that he's definitely better than Jack and he definitely keeps choosing the right side. Of, of this war, you know, we're, this is a culture war and we keep saying it's good versus evil. And so far, Elon does seem to be on the side of good. And so I appreciate that. And I want to see how, you know, messy things get. I don't know if you saw that Cornell West has just come out saying he's running for president. And, you know, this has just been a big down and dirty fight this whole 2024. So I can't wait to see what happens, who's censored, whose accounts are taken down. You know, if we can make it through this presidential race fairly without people being censored, he may just get another check mark for me, uh, Elon Musk, because, you know, that's going to be a big thing that I'm, I'll be watching. Look, I was not always where I'm at today. And, and literally, I'm just going to be, I don't know if I, I wouldn't be as passionate about my positions that I am today if they left kids alone. And it, 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 it's the trying to influence and seduce kids and to wrap them into this whole sexuality thing that's the thing that has compelled me and made me start questioning everything. I mean, mm -hmm. I, it, it has literally made me start questioning every, everything I've been, like, yesterday I woke up, they say today is Sunday. Is it really? Are we sure? Let me go, let me go do some, I mean, literally, I'm questioning everything, and it's, it, it's, that's what this issue as it relates to kids, and so when I look at Elon Musk, Again, why did he tweet support of Riley Gaines? 14-year-old girl being mistreated, having to shower uh, undressed with boys. It's, it's the involvement of kids that are pushing men, and I think perhaps pushing Elon, to start questioning everything. And eventually, you know, again, I, I've said on this show many times that it wasn't until 2013 when I started going through that problems with ESPN and saw all the people lining up against me, that the light bulb went off and made me say, man, there's a spiritual component, a good versus evil component to this that I was unaware of, thought I was just going through life and it, it was normal. And so I, I, I feel like, and this is the optimistic side of me, like Elon Musk is being red-pilled in real time. And he's not there yet but he's inching closer and closer and closer where he's gonna to have to say, you know what? These people are against God. And, and if, if they're this hard against him, that must mean God is real. 
And if I'm going to be on the side of truth, I got to be on the side of God. I, I just think we're watching it play out in real time. Look, you go back and read what I was writing and what I was doing in the 1990s and early 2000s. And a lot of the stuff was was funny and, and, you know, got me a lot of attention, helped me build a big following. But I'm ashamed of a lot of it. It's like I saw today and we may get into this tomorrow, but Robbie Starbuck tweeted out a picture of or a video, a libs of TikTok video, I think, of some gay pride parade. They're going through the streets and the dudes are naked, their butts out and they're beating them with a whip. And this is all out in the middle of the street in the parade. And it was just all. And, and so when I looked at that, I get why Robbie Starbuck is upset. But the way I looked at it was like, I did that. I, I, I did that in terms of, of all the debauchery that I celebrated in music, all the heterosexual sex that I celebrated in movies. We, we slam promiscuous heterosexual sex down everyone's throat. And so I shouldn't be surprised that gay people are like, okay, we're gonna slam our sexuality, our promiscuous, our, we're gonna slam that down y'all's throat. And mm -hmm. so I feel responsible, like I was part of the heterosexual debauchery that was laced in, in the music I listened to, in the movies I watched, in, into, the strip clubs I went to, the trips to Vegas I went to, all of that, I shut and flaunted it, would write about it, talk about it, crack jokes about it on radio and TV, just shoving it, my sexuality, my irresponsibility, shoved it down everyone's throat. I shouldn't be shocked that the other side is like, okay, we're gonna shove it down y'all's throat now. I, I, right. I sit there and take responsibility, and that's why I'm running as fast as I can the other direction. You're absolutely right, Jason, and I was a part of that Lil' Kim era. When I think of my great-grandmother, we were talking last week on how I went to my family reunion, and just looking at the pictures from the way they used to dress, and you could tell that they carried themselves with class and dignity. But here, you know, Lil' Kim, I was singing the loudest in the club. I'm drinking babies. Then I craps for the Mercedes, Zach Shady. You know, that was my era. And so I'm pretty sure my grandmother and her siblings thought, oh my God, what is going on with this generation that something that we, we used to keep behind closed doors, you know, what we did, whether it was heterosexual or homosexual, they kept that behind closed doors. And then we took it and we brought it out to the forefront we wanted to talk about it in all of the music. When you listen to music, that's all we promoted was sex, 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 sex. And now we have here the generation coming after us that, yes, if, if you're out of the closet, they're completely out of the closet and they're shoving it in our faces. And we have just gone down this, you know, downward slide, this, this spiral down that 
it's very apparent as to how we got here. I think they said it takes 15 years to demoralize a generation. Well, look how long we've been on this road going downhill. It's no surprise that we are where we are. And I do believe, though, that the kids will make people actually choose a side. You know, it's funny that if a man says something to me now at work, I can easily quickly say, oh, that's sexual harassment. But you take that same conversation and put it in the classroom and we think that it's okay. It's fine. When I see what these teachers are saying to these kids, when I think back to when I was coming up through school, if a man had ever asked me, hey, you know, are you straight or are you gay? One of my teachers, my uncles would have descended on that school so fast thinking that this man was doing something inappropriate. It's crazy to me that they have these same conversations now with second and third graders having to decide who they would like to go to bed with. Because at the end of the day, that's what you have to figure out. If you're eight years old and you feel like, oh, I'm attracted to the same sex, it's the sexual decision that you have to make. And so the way that they're pushing th this on kids, I think Elon Musk and us and so many other people with common sense are saying, wait a minute, you are going a bit too far. And I do think the way they're coming at the kids is going to open a lot of eyes. I remember seeing the picture of Trump and the word said, they're not after me, they're after you. I'm just in the way. Now I'm seeing pictures of little kids that say they're not after you. They're after me. And I need you to be in the way. And so us as adults, we need to be in the way. We have to take this stand and keep being fearless because it has gone way too far. And although my kids are older, one day I'll have grandkids. And so I will stand in the way of this sexual perversion that that they think is okay and that's proper for children. It's not, it's wrong, it's evil. And I'm gonna stay in the fight. And so I'm grateful that Elon Musk and Robbie Starbuck and the fearless team and our fearless soldiers are standing in the way for these kids because I used to wanna be a police you know, a nurse, a doctor, my mind changed. And so when they are going out and they're mutilating these 11 and 12 year olds, they have no idea what they're doing because these kids, their mind may change. I knew a little boy in the eighth grade who wanted to be Spider-Man. I never took him and said, hey, climb out this five, six story window and see, let's see how it goes. You realize that children can't make important decisions like that. And the fact that we are allowing them to, and you have adults pushing them to make such permanent decisions, we all got to be in the way because what we're going to see in 10, 15 years, I think is going to be a travesty and people are going to wish they had been on the right side of the fight. Thank you, Shamika. Great job as always. I want to end this segment talking about this. I want to be crystal clear here because I, I think a lot of people think, hey, it's very important that we rebuke the other side. And, and what I'm trying to say is, 
it's important that we rebuke ourselves and, and acknowledge our role in this. And, and so it, it, it's not enough just to say, hey, those are the bad guys. There are things we did that propelled, compelled them to do what they're doing. And, and I know that that's very difficult for many of you to hear and accept. You, you've designated yourself as the great, perfect person, and I had nothing to do with this, and probably you're wrong. I, I know you're wrong. I, I know I was wrong. And, and so cleaning up my own behavior, uh, and it's a difficult, difficult process that I struggle with constantly. If, if people had access to my Instagram, what I look at on Instagram occasionally, it's, it, it's not all cleaned up. I'm trying and I'm making progress, but it, it's like the desire to see women dressed very, very provocatively. I, I gotta put that all away. And I, I've been putting it away and, and just like reprogramming my mind to see a woman that's dressed modestly as attractive and as desirable. It, it's, it's, that's part of the process we have to go through because we've been so conditioned from Sports Illustrated swimsuit issues to every magazine cover to every uh, Academy Awards, red carpet, or Met Gay, you know, we've been sitting around, oh, can't wait to see the women show up half naked. Oh, that's great. I used to love talking about, you know, love going to big fights in Vegas. Took my father, brother, friends, everybody, and we'd, oh, you won't believe it, man, fight night. <clears throat> Casino at the MGM. Oh, women are going to be dressed so incredible. Oh, everybody's going to be half naked. And you just sitting there in a suit and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, I used to celebrate and, and just revel in that. And I, I've had to put it all away and, and clean up my mind and clean up my expectations. Because, again, that's how we got here. We made sex front and center for everything. I, I think but people send me the pictures of me and I think it was the Miller Lite girls. We were at a party together. Me and the, the Miller, remember the Miller Lite girls? Very attractive, one blonde, one brunette. And I picture me hugged up with them and all this other stuff. And I, I'd go to the Playboy parties and all that stuff. And I'm just like, that's how we got here. That, that again. There's certain behaviors that don't need to be front and center and out in public. They're meant for private consumption. And, and that's whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. And so, it's a little bit more boring, but it's the right thing to do and it's the only way to get kids out of the crosshairs. We're not going to stop this. Kids will be in the crosshairs, this sexual crosshairs, if we don't stop our own misbehavior.
and just embrace some modesty and some privacy. I think back to uh, John Thompson saying everybody should have three lives. I'm not saying this is perfect, but I'm just saying I get the philosophy. A public life, a private life, and a personal life. The personal life, I can't remember. But, it was <laughs> but it's just some things need to be placed in the closet. Not just homosexual behavior, a lot of our behavior needs to be placed in the closet. Between you and your wife, you and your girlfriend, really you and your wife, but you get my point. Anyway, all right. <clears throat> I think we've made it back to shore. If not, uh, we will attempt to get back to shore with Steve Kim. I'm in the deep end of the pool. Many of you Obama lovers, you racial idolaters probably hate me. But it's an important conversation, and we're going to have it here on Fearless. We're going to talk some sports with Stephen Kim. <laughs> what up, y'all? It's Trannin Shop, a.k.a. Uncle or Auntie Zay Zay. Back with a new episode of Club Zay Zay. You know how we do it. The pronouns are brawn sexual. We love everything LeBron James. <laughs> Some of y'all might remember me as a Hall of Fame football player, a three-time Super Bowl champion, John Elway's favorite tight end. But the truth is, I was living a lie for 40 years. I was trapped in the closet. Ever since I was a little kid, I secretly identified as a basketball player. I always preferred those big, luscious basketballs over pig skin. It's like my granny always said, Trannon, you is non-binary. You can shoot with your left and your right hand. <laughs> Nothing will bring me more joy and fulfillment than an evening fondling, I mean handling, LeBron basketball. Bron sexuals, I am the throat goat. Time for some Korean co-sell. Uh, Steve Kim joining the program to talk a little NBA action, talk a little Jamel Hill action. Uh, Steve, the Nuggets, even the NBA Finals Series, at 111-108 last night, terrific game. And look, I'm programmed just like everybody else. I'm watching the game, but I'm thinking about LeBron James. That's how they <laughs> distorted my view of the NBA. And so my immediate thought when that game was over is like, LeBron James left Eric Spolstra and the Miami Heat 
if he had stayed in Miami, he might have won the Jordan debate. He might be considered the GOAT. LeBron has never committed to a great coach like every other superstar. Magic had Pat Riley. Isaiah Thomas had Chuck Daly. Jordan had Phil Jackson. Larry Bird had several different coaches. Bill Russell had uh, Red Auerbach. But if, if LeBron had stuck with the Spolstra, he wins the GOAT debate. Agree or disagree? I, I still disagree. I, I don't think his game is as complete, but I think you make a point that is very salient. Uh, if you are going to be part of consistent championships, you have to bind to the culture. And you're absolutely right. Every player that you named, they generally had one guy that set the tone, and they were the head lieutenant. Uh, I mean, I always go back to when Phil Jackson first took over for Doug Collins. You have to remember, Doug Collins was actually a successful coach. They made some deep runs into the playoffs. They kept running into Detroit. And, and they got this guy, this kind of quirky guy that had some success in the CBA. He was brought in by, I believe, Crumbs Krause when they were actually friends. And then the guy had a crazy idea. Hey, Michael, instead of you being the main focal point of the offense every single time, we're going to do this thing called the triangle, and you're going to give up the ball. And it was not easy. I mean, Michael really chafed under that whole system, and he's thinking to myself, why am I dumping the ball into guys like Bill Cartwright in the post, and I don't trust this guy named Pippen, but you know what? He bought in. And I, I still remember going back even a little bit further Magic Johnson was the ultimate superstar. But if you've read any books or heard any interviews or seen documentaries, they will tell you that Urban Magic Johnson, for as big a star as he was, was incredibly compliant to Pat Riley. Uh, maybe he had to be after a second season when Paul Westfall kind of got blown out and a lot of people blame Magic. Paul Westhead. West Paul Westhead, West you're right. And so Magic may have felt pressure that, hey, I got to ride this guy. Uh, this guy's going to have to be the general. I'm going to have to be the top soldier. But let's go back to priorities. LeBron wanted to have his quote-unquote posse fly with him and be a part of the team. And that very same guy by the name of Pat Riley said, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. Because remember, Pat Riley had one rule for the Lakers that even Magic couldn't break. It was only broken one time. Pat Riley used to have a rule. I don't care who you are. You're not riding on that team bus unless you're a part of this team there was no way Pat Riley was going to have other people fly on the team plane. So I want to stay with this LeBron topic before I ask you a question about the, the Heat and Nikola Jokic and whether they can pull this off. But uh, Chris Haynes reported today that Kyrie Irving would like for the Dallas Mavericks to pursue LeBron James. LeBron... Kyrie, Luka Doncic, another big three. You like this idea? Do you think Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks, do you think it's a possibility? As someone who's dying to be a Laker fan again, yes, yes, let LeBron do Dallas. I am all for it. In fact, I will volunteer an afternoon. I will rent a U-Haul. I'll help him pack his stuff and get out of here. But let, let me ask you this, though, Jason. If you are any organization, and again, we, we have different feelings or different attitudes about Kyrie Irving as it relates to different subjects. There's on-the-court stuff where he's been very admirable, and as a basketball player, he's been completely unreliable. 
if you are Mark Cuban or any other owner or brain trust of an NBA team, is Kyrie Irving on your short list of guys that you consult with to build a franchise? Ask yourself that, Jason. Really? If he can help you del- if he can help deliver LeBron to your franchise, yeah, he's on my list. Yes, I I talk. consult with it. I, if, I if yeah. Kyrie wouldn't say this if he didn't think it was a possibility in my opinion. I don't think Kyrie just says things to drive discussions. He and LeBron Look, LeBron probably wants another title. Uh, and if, if the Dallas Mavericks are willing to agree to draft Bronny James in a year from now, <laughs> then, okay. then perhaps they would pursue LeBron James. And that would be an interesting trifecta, no? It would be. Now, look, there's two things that could happen, and there's equal probability. That trifecta... That lethal weapon three of Dallas that you just named, yeah, maybe they can win 60, 65 games and make a deep playoff run, maybe even win a title. Or or consider this, again, I'm just going by track record because your track record of the past can tell me what happens in the future. One day in, um, you know, let's say January or February, Kyrie Irving can just wake up and say, ah, I'm not feeling this basketball thing. I'm a deep thinker. I don't feel like playing. I need a break. Both are highly probable, Jason. And then then LeBron's going to be like, oh, good grief, really? Really? And then they're going to have those issues. Look, Kyrie Irving should have never found a way to break apart from LeBron. After that 2016 3-1 comeback against Golden State, Kyrie needed to have the self-awareness to say, you know what? This guy can make me into a consistent world champion. But he didn't. I mean, look, I know we really appreciate some of the stances that Irving has taken outside the court. But as a basketball player, he is completely unreliable. That's a fact. It it is. I can't dispute that fact. I'm never giving up on Kyrie Irving. (laughs) I don't want... I don't want LeBron to go to Dallas. I think that would be cheap and cheesy. And it would further diminish my feelings about LeBron James if he did that. Mm. Back to the NBA Finals. And look, I apologize. I watched the NBA Finals thinking about LeBron James. I'm just being transparent, what it means to his legacy. (laughs) Just being honest. But uh, what do you think happens here? It's 1-1. They've stolen one on the road. You think Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets are in real trouble? If they can't find a way to get Jamal Murray uh, to game one form, because they did something interesting. It seems to me Spolstra, who is proving that he is an elite coach with or without LeBron, that, look, let Jokic get his 30, let him get his triple-double, but make sure that everyone else, all the complimentary players, uh, are not going to have that same success. And, look, the difference in game one and game two, a lot of it had to do with Murray's production or lack thereof also if i'm coach malone right now i am in that film room and i am lambasting my team that nuggets defense in the half court in terms of their rotations and their switches was incredibly poor look i'm not a basketball savant but koreatown hubie brown could even see that was poor defense that was played I, i mean they gave up a lot of open looks and another thing that drove me nuts I've never seen a game where so many three-point shooters were fouled. Hey, guys, just get your hand up and close out. I just – the lack of defensive fundamentals 
from the Nuggets last night I thought was alarming. Now, I'm allowed to change my mind here. I thought at the beginning of the series it would be a five- or six-game series because I assumed Denver would hold home court for at least the first two games. Now things change, and now I'm going to have a revised prediction. I say Nuggets in seven. Mm. Yeah, I think Nuggets in seven is probably still my prediction as well, but I, I, I'm, I'm not shocked that the Heat have found a way to make this interesting because they're just so gritty and tough, and Jimmy Butler is gritty and tough. And, and just I do want to clarify one thing. Jokic had 40. He didn't have a mm. triple-double last night. He, he only had four assists. Right. They, they really bottled up his other players. They let him get his without letting him distribute and get all the other guys involved. It was a brilliant strategy. And, again, it goes back to why I was thinking about how great Eric Spolster is and how LeBron made a mistake. Uh, Steve, I want to – oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I can't – I want to see your approval score. That's mine. I've got him at an 85. Steve, yo, you only got Spolster at an 80. He won one game. When he hoists the Larry O'Brien trophy, I'll go up to a 90. These are very fluid. He's Come in on, the NBA the, Finals. You got to win it. It's one, look, the NBA Finals and all playoff series are a game of adjustments. And I still remember playoff series that literally looked like seven different teams each time based on the adjustments. And, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, I happened to see over the weekend something, uh, a documentary on NBA TV about the 2001 Sixers called Everybody But the Chip. And, it, was, and I, it, it really holds to what I'm talking about here. Allen Iverson actually said after one playoff game where they had won and then they lost, he said, I just want to say one thing. Larry Brown did the greatest job of coaching. The adjustments he made tonight, like, like Allen had this revelation like, oh, my God, I should listen to this neurotic guy before he quits this job. And so that's the challenge for Malone now that what we saw in game two cannot happen in game three. Steve, I want to get to a topic I think you have some interest in. Uh, I know you're upset by this. Uh, Spotify has refused to, has declined to uh, renew Jamel Hill's uh, podcast deal. I don't, what's her, yeah, Unbothered. Uh, It's not going to be uh, returning to Spotify. Are you bothered by this? Is it Spotify or not a fi because they weren't bothered to go on with this. I, I got to tell you about Jamel Hill. I got to tell you about old Jay Hill. Jay Hill would be like if Nathaniel Hackett, um, especially when it comes to her TV, because she was a fairly successful writer. But no, 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 I'm yes, not going to let was. you into that. Come on. She it, was no, fairly she w- successful. Fairly. Fairly. Steve. Steve. What? 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 If, 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 if if you and I got an argument about uh, liquor stores in black neighborhoods or uh, cleaners in black neighborhoods, I would defer to you. I would be the guy. I, I, I would be the guy. Yeah, yes, I would defer I would to so. you. When yes. it comes to sports writing, you should defer to me. Continue. <laughs> okay. And, and, and I just want to add this. Hey. Put down that orange juice. Okay, anyway, so here's the thing. <laughs> so as a television personality, it would be like Nathaniel Hackett after last year getting another three or four NFL head coaching jobs. So that brings to mind, she's like Paul Hackett. 
Remember Paul Hackett used to ruin all these programs because he was the quarterback coach for Joe Montana. Real difficult job there, right? I oh, get to yeah. hide, hide behind Bill Walsh and I had a guy, number 16 was pretty good, and he ended up getting like the, the t- big-time Chiefs job. He ran Pitt, head coach at USC. It, it is amazing. Jamel Hill should be the new Webster's or Urban Dictionary for failing upward. I mean, you just look at the opportunities that she's been given uh, at ESPN, and they tried to do that really uh, the interesting version of Sports Center that failed. That was an absolute flop, and now she's trying to play a game of semantics where she says, "I, I really wasn't fired," and there's stuff going on. Look, at the end of the day, when she absolutely dared uh, Spotify to give me or someone else a hundred million dollar deal like Joe Rogan, <laughs> Spotify said. Double there. You're out of here. So she got what she asked for. Yeah. uh, She is uh, the female version of Bomani Jones. She keeps failing upwards. Ooh, she money. And and she's – I'm just sorry. I I followed her sports writing career the whole – she's never had a real accomplishment. She's always been – given opportunities and uh, promotions based on what she might do once they put her in this position. And she wasn't qualified to be a sports columnist. Uh, She was an average one in Orlando and then got an, oh, there's a black woman writing a column in Orlando. Let's give her a job at ESPN. Average columnist at ESPN. Her and Michael Smith had a podcast what was it? Numbers? Numbers never lie, or whatever, or his and hers, whatever it was. It yeah. was moderately successful. Uh, and I'm, when I mean I'm stretching the word successful there. And then they got that 6 p.m. Sports Center again, based off a theory of what she might do. And she blew that up and blew Michael Smith up in the process. We're told, it's rarely talked about how she destroyed his, his career, career as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's rarely it's oh, talked about. Look, I'm. I'm no Jamel Hill fan, and so uh, she's no, blocked really. me on Twitter. Yeah, no, she's really. Me on Twitter. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Last thing before I let you go, I, on a light <laughs> topic, just because I got to tell you what my struggle is today. And, and it's a real struggle. I don't know if you, you – and I think you can help me out with this because I know you work out. You're in the boxing world. <sighs> Steve, I yesterday I changed up my workout. I did this very simple workout that I saw on Instagram. You bet you take two little dumbbells and you bend over and you pick one up and then you lean the other way and pick the other one up and you're just going back and forth, back and forth. It looks so simple on uh, Mm -hmm. Instagram. I did eight sets of this one minute sets, took two minute breaks in between the sets. Steve, it has absolutely destroyed me. I'm talking about, I get on my Stairmaster and go 30, 45 minutes, big sweat, hard workout. This little simple thing that I did for 25 minutes has me in so much pain. And again, let's say I did this at one o'clock, one, one o'clock, one thirty-ish, maybe two o'clock-ish yesterday. I'm still hurting right now. I'm falling off a cliff right now, energy-wise. I, I, I just, my body 
is in total chaos right now. I switch up this workout. Can you help me out here? What am I experiencing? This is crazy. I thought this was nothing. Oh. My rear end hurts. My hamstrings Good. hurt. My lower back is starting to hurt. My upper back is hurt. I feel like I was in a car wreck. And that is good. It's about time you took the training wheels off and got off the elliptical. Th this is great. And actually, I actually do workouts like that. Now that I'm older, I don't really lift heavy free weights anymore. I actually do the resistance yeah. band. And the, the workout that brings me the most amount of sweat is actually when you do three-minute intervals. So basically, let's say 100 pounds at any exercise is your max. You do about... 40% or maybe 30% of whatever you can lift heaviest, and you do that same exercise for three minutes. And it's really easy for about the first 30 seconds. Then around a minute, you feel as though that you are going to die. And you only do a few sets. So those workouts will only take about 27 to 30 minutes. You finally are working out in a way that Ball State can be proud of you. Because my God, I, I mean, it's about time you got out of LA Fitness. So body weight motion is good. The resistance bands are good. You go with the uh, relatively low weights and go with the longer interval sets. And, we, and this is what I don't want to go Cree and Jack LaLanne here. Any workout over 45 minutes is really a waste, Jason. You should literally be taking one minute off in between sets and have a high level of intensity. And within 30 minutes, you should be sweating like you are in a sauna and then you're done. And another, another tip from the old Kimster, okay? Try to work out early in the morning on an empty stomach with just water. You'll be looking like Denzel within a month or two. Don't worry, I got you. I'm going to pump you up. This is what we do here. I am I am glad you've taken it to the next level there, Whitlock. I, I, people Good. all the time ask me like, hey, Whitlock, snap out of me. Look like you're falling asleep on the show. Today is the first time Yeah. where it's like, I'm so completely drained and I, I'm in so much pain. All I can think about the last half hour of this show is like, I got to get back in bed. I got to get back yeah. in bed. Th this, but, but Jason, this did you work out today incredible. though? Jay, did you work? It's important when you're, no, you have to though. See, now that you got the soreness, yeah. you got the lactic acid. Now you have to move your body again. Now it's actually important to take days off. Uh, Victor Conte had taught me, yes, that Victor Conte, the rest and recovery is as important as the workout. Now, another thing that I've employed the last several years, because it, it's actually very soothing for the body and it's very restorative, yoga. Yeah, go to a yoga class, buy yourself a mat, learn how to do a routine. You could buy, you could do it on YouTube, put in a little Anita Baker. She gives you the best she got. So we, oh, it's great. I do that twice a week. Straightens out your spine. Jason, you are moving. I, I like what is going on here. It's about time you got out of the beginner stage. Good grief. Good grief. I, I'm going to TJ Mode. I was talking to him about it yesterday. He's talked me into like, I'm going to go buy bags of ice and I'm going to take an ice bath. That's a good one, because, too. Three minutes yeah. is all you need. Three minutes, but the water has to oh, be about all? 50. Yeah, water has to be about 56 degrees. You go three to five minutes, make sure you submerge yourself. It's going to feel like torture. It's going to be like knives going all through your body, but it's worth it. It's, you're going to become from the big sexy to the just the extra large sexy. It's, it's good. It's all part of the process. You're good. You're good. <laughs> all right, guys, I'm out of here. We're done. <laughs> Play tomorrow. Hopefully, if I can get out of bed, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>
I just want, I wanna be, I just want 